COVID kind of pushed me to learn some interior photography because uh, now I can apply all that and uh, I can offer a better service to my clients. So instead of needing to hire, you know, like uh, somebody to take portraits, uh, somebody to take interior shots, I can do the entire thing. And that's very valuable because I think money is definitely an issue, but also the fact that in one day you get everything. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of, uh, there's a high degree of, of service and uh, convenience becomes also uh, a key aspect. This is your host, Dyutama, but you can call me DJ. <laughs> and I love to inspire food photographers to dream. I spent 15 years as an architect studying buildings and constructing hospitals before taking the biggest leap of faith of my life, which was setting up a food styling and food photography business right from scratch. If you're a dreamer like me, wanting to start a new photography business or grow your existing food photography business, jump right into a world where I share practical, actionable strategies to improve your photography skills, to work with clients, make more money, all with a fearless mindset. This is the My Food Lens Podcast, and we take you one step closer to your dreams. So let's go. You know, one of my missions on this podcast is actually to make it very raw and real for you to give you a true insight into things and to not have anything sugarcoated. I want you to take away a very practical aspect of food photography and the industry whenever you tune into the podcast. So that's been my mission so far. And that's kind of the theme of you know what we're going to talk about today. So today our guest is Francesco Sapienza and why I wanted Francesco on this episode today is because we're going to talk about something that is raw to the core. It's raw like anything. It's actually a deep dive into the harsh realities, the truth about being a professional food photographer. So Francesco was actually an engineer and it took him seven years to transition from part-time photography to full-time food photography. And when he did, he's gone out to work with clients such as the Whole Foods Market, Rizzoli Publications, which is a huge name in Italy, the Smithsonian Books. He's worked as a photographer for them. And he's also worked as a photographer for the New York Times. Francesco has a beautiful and amazing history. He grew up in Rome. He was educated in Stockholm. And he set up his photography business in New York. Wow, what a competitive market to kind of set yourself up in, right? And that's why I think he's the perfect person to throw light on what it takes to actually set yourself up as a professional food photographer, as a commercial food photographer, what it takes to set yourself up as a business and all the curveballs and all the hardships and all the hard realities that come your way. Francesco is going to tell us all about that and much more about how he got to work with the New York Times. So let's get started. Let's get Francesco on and let's get the ball rolling. Here we go. Hi, Francesco, and welcome to My Food Lens podcast. Such a pleasure to have you here today. Thank you so much for having me on. I've been uh, been looking forward to this. I listen to you all the time and uh, I think this is going to be fun. 
I have no doubt that it's going to be fun because I think we're going to talk about something that our audience is going to either love or hate. But in all probability, I think they're going to love it because this is going to give them such a good peek into the industry. So I know that we're going to show them a little bit of tough love. We're going to talk about something very serious and we're really going to deep dive into the raw, harsh realities of being a commercial food photographer because you and I both know that it takes more than camera skills, talent, you know, creativity all of that to really build a business in this industry. And so I think you have so much, so much to contribute based on your experience. Our audience is really in for a treat. But before that, there is one more thing that we like to do on this podcast. We like to make our guests very uncomfortable. So let's make you very uncomfortable right now. All right. So before we get into the serious stuff, are you up for it? What do you think? Yeah. Yeah. Should we do it? Okay. So before we get into the serious stuff, maybe you can share with us something very fun, something that your audience or our audience may not know about you. Why don't we start there? It's very fun. I'm not sure, but I can say that uh, I've been actually doing for uh, more than six months and it's a new practice that I've been thinking about it for a while and uh, it's called exposure. Are you aware of what that is? No, no, tell us. (laughs) So basically, some science and a lot of people that I follow, they talk about the benefits of actually uh, exposing your body to cold for, I think they say that already with the five to 10 minutes a week, Mm. you can get benefits, uh, health benefits. Okay, I know. I I know uh, this. I just didn't know the word. All right. I'm so interested now. Tell me. And uh, I've always suffered from cold. I'm always on the cold side. So I always run cold. And uh, to me, I was like, no, I'll never be able to do this. But then I kept listening to these people. And there's a lot of research behind this. And I'm like, hmm, you know what? I'm going to use my very strong ego to kind of (laughs) force me to do something that I really don't enjoy. So I said, you know what? Okay, it's May, June it's starting to get really hot. Mm -hmm. Maybe I should start practicing now because I know that it's also a practice. You know, you can't just jump into a, you know, cold plunge when you're not used to it and you don't even enjoy the cold. And so I started with ending the shower with maybe 10 seconds cold water and then 15 and then 30 and so on. And uh, that was my practice. And now I'm at about two to three minutes. uh, No way. Four times a week. (laughs) No, and in and this when weather, I say cold, oh god! Yeah, when I say cold, it's cold. It's the coldest water I can get out of my shower. It's probably five Celsius. So yeah. what's that? Thirty, maybe thirty-eight Fahrenheit, something like that. Yeah. And and now over Christmas, we were uh, we have a property in Jersey, and there's a lake there, and I tried for my very first time a cold plunge. So oh. basically, <laughs> I just jump in the water no. at 30, 33 Fahrenheit is one or two degrees Celsius. And first time I could stay there for 15 seconds. The second day, one minute. And the third day I could do two minutes. Wow. And that's, pl- that's plenty. Yes, and uh, that's too I have much. to tell you, <laughs> yeah, I have to tell you the feeling afterwards is totally incredible. I wow. never thought I would mm-hmm. get addicted to something like this. Wow, that is amazing. And, uh, it's such a reset for your body and mind that it's like, I wish 
everybody gave it a try. Yeah. You know, and it takes a little bit of adjustment and, yeah, and practice, yeah. but it's like, you know, when those days when you wake up, maybe you're not really looking forward to things that are going to happen during that day. There's nothing really exciting. And, you know, maybe the weather is not so nice. And, and you're like, you feel like kind of low. Well, mm-hmm. go under the shower for even Gold one lunch. minute. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. It just re-energizes you in a way yeah. that I didn't think was possible. And uh, so this is my... It's amazing, know, yeah. One, one thing that I <laughs> incorporated into my routines and people think I'm crazy. No, and, uh, I love it. And, uh, and I think it's, uh, it's fun. And it's also it's always a challenge, mm-hmm. psychologically speaking. Absolutely. Because that's, where, that's the hard part. You know, I know I can do it, but every yeah. time I do it, it feels cold. I yes, don't yes. want to do it. <laughs> And it's, uh, so it's, it's so it's, different uh, it's, for someone who lives in your part of the world versus my part of the world. You see, we cold plunge every single day because we are in the tropics, you know, so it would be very different. But for you to be able to do that, especially in this weather, I think that is incredible. I've heard so many benefits of it. I've heard so much about this practice and it takes a lot of willpower to be able to do it. And to be able to push yourself, like you said, from 15 seconds to two minutes, that's incredible. And I absolutely love that you shared this right in the beginning, because this is so much about you. And, you know, we're going to be talking about challenges and overcoming yourself and really having resilience and willpower. That's going to be a lot of what we talk about today in food photography. And when we can incorporate something so powerful in our personal lives as well, boy, (laughs) you're in for a treat. So. Fantastic. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. I want to begin. I want to begin by really telling our audience a little bit more about like we all know that you are a commercial food photographer. But can you just give us like a really quick snapshot of what are the kind of projects, clients or commitments that you typically work with? I would say that about 60% of my business comes from the restaurant industry. So typically is shoots for restaurants and, you know, like the, the need for imagery and content uh, has exploded in the past 10 years and definitely, you know, with and after COVID. And uh, so that's a big bulk of, of my business. Then there are other projects that are still within food. So culinary brands, it could be, you know, cheese importers, or it could be a company that makes cookies. It's always food related. So it's always a culinary brand that I work with. One example would be Lavazza, Italian uh, Mm -hmm. coffee brand. Very, Mm -hmm. very big. And it's expanding in the US a lot. And uh, I've been working with them for almost 10 years now. Wow. um, So those projects are slightly different compared to going to a restaurant and and taking Mm -hmm. photos of dishes and chefs and interiors. Mm -hmm. Uh, But they're equally fun i would say so for example mm-hmm. for the cheese brand like what yes. kind of services or what would be the scope of your services if you can just tell us briefly definitely social media content mm-hmm. but very often in this case it's more geared towards maybe e-commerce before okay. even we go to social media so i would say it would be product photography and uh, that is more more towards e-commerce than editorial photography for sure some of those projects are like that. So sometimes, you know, sometimes there is some styling, but uh, very often it's very basic styling. 
Yeah. And but there's a lot of focus on showing the product the way the client wants of course. Uh, that to be seen. Mm-hmm. And which means that basically you're it's almost like taking a portrait of uh, you know yeah. on uh, of an object and trying yeah. to portray it and based on the indications and the direction that you get from the client. So more like studio work, uh, that mm-hmm. type of project. Mm-hmm. Whereas when I work for restaurants, uh, mostly it's in-house or at the restaurant. And it's more like lifestyle, social media vibe. And yes, there are beauty shots of dishes, but there's always a component, the human element and or the decor or other elements that the brand wants to highlight. So it's more towards lifestyle, I would say. Mm-hmm. On one extreme, there is the, the pure product. On the other extreme, there's the pure lifestyle. And in between, you get all these different things. So they're, yeah. they're falling into those uh, in that space. And of course, when when you do restaurants, then very often uh, you take portraits of chefs or personnel, especially for social media purposes. Even big brands have started to really try to highlight just standard employees who might not be the famous one, the famous chef in the kitchen. It might mm-hmm. be a line cook, or it could be somebody, a server. And because they want to bring these stories alive, they have so much power so that people can connect much more with the brand when you see actual stories of, you know, it's not a chef that is on TV. It's just a normal person that works there, but that that person is working for that brand. So it's I think it's interesting. I think uh, I've seen a, a shift in how brands have use the images or the type of images that they want to create to make everything more personal, more relatable, mm-hmm. I would Absolutely. say. Absolutely, yeah. And a bit more scrappy. I feel like they are like, okay, let's create. Abs- and, and Absolutely. you know, there's a bit of realness to it. It's less manicured and polished. So this is great because Absolutely. this really gives our audience a snapshot into what all prospects are there in the realm of commercial food photography. It's not just restaurants or it's not just products. It could be, you know, portraits, it could be digital, it could be print. It doesn't always have to be editorial style for that. And also very often, especially in the beginning, uh, when a new restaurant opens, there's a lot of interior shots or Mm. shots of decor, which can make the entire thing a little bit challenging, actually, because, you know, interior photographs are very, very different from from food. So I would not Uh, see a food photographer fit into that. You think? I'll tell you a story. One of my very first gigs when I used to live in Sweden, I'm talking now more than 15 years ago, was uh, an interior shoot for uh, a hotel. Hmm. So I kind of had tried that a little bit. Right. Uh, and then during COVID, unfortunately, there was not a lot of work. Hmm. And a friend of mine who is in real estate, who is an interior photographer, he said, hey, do you want to help me? Because I need help. I have too much work. And I'm like, yeah, of course. I need I need to work. They're, the restaurants are closed. What can we do together? So he kind of trained me a little bit. And basically, I learned how to take uh, good photos of interiors. And mm-hmm. that helps a lot because very often that's part of what the, the brand requires. And True. Um, so it's good to at least not be totally intimidated by mm-hmm. that type of stuff. Just Someone be familiar ask, with can it. You do that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can you do that? And say, yeah, sure. It's, it's no problem. Mm-hmm. And the same thing with portraiture. I don't know if we'll go mm-hmm. there, but my very first passion was portrait photography. I wanted mm. to become a portrait photographer. Oh, wow. That was my aspiration. So uh, that was my number one thing. 
so I'm I'm very comfortable taking photos of of people, and that also helps because because brands, uh, restaurant brands, and food brands very yeah. often they need also portraiture. So yeah, it it, it helps a ton, and uh, it takes uh, some of you know the stress off yeah. my shoulder because I can so- imagine if you never <laughs> shoot other things. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> No, no. <laughs> no, but I, like if you're very focused, if you've only just shot food, uh, it can be really intimidating to do interiors or portraiture. And mm-hmm. uh, so I feel lucky. I feel lucky that I come from that world and that COVID kind of pushed me to learn some interior photography because uh, now I can apply all that and uh, I can offer a better service to my clients. So instead of needing to hire, you know, like uh, somebody to take portraits, uh, somebody to take interior shots. I can do the entire thing. And that's very valuable because I think money is definitely an issue, but also the fact that in one day you get everything. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of, uh, there's a high degree of of service and uh, convenience becomes also Mm -hmm. uh, a key aspect. Mm -hmm. I think that's a great tip for someone who wants to kind of diversify or who wants to be able to offer a full package to the client. You know, I am a little bit of a different school of thought Like for me, I'm an architect, right? That's my background. So for me, interior photography is intuitive. It just comes naturally to me. But at the same time, it's something that I choose not to do. You know, that is, again, it's a choice, you know, right? So for me, it's like, um, I want to keep my portfolio around food. And you're right. I mean, uh, photographing chefs is a large part of it. But when someone comes and approaches me for interior photography, I'm like, okay, no, that's not what I do. But it's such a great thing that you're bringing it up because I come from that school of thought, but you come from a different school of thought, which means that those who are tuning in know that it's a choice that they can make whether to add or not, you know, depending on how they want to take their business forward. You have a successful business and I have a successful business having both our unique schools of thoughts. So I think it's it's a really great point that you brought it up that this is something people can add to their repertoire. I do want to get into Can I mm-hmm. can I add something? Mm-hmm. Uh, just to be clear, there are no interior shots, almost no interior shots in my portfolio. Mm. Because I don't I don't want to confuse people. Mm. I think that's an add-on that I can talk about if they ask and I can send the PDF portfolio. Yeah. But if you start showing too many genres of photography, as you know, you may be the best at all of them, but people will not be able to remember True. your name linked to a specific thing. So Excellent basically, I, it's, a, it's a tool that I have in my tool belt and I can use, uh, but I don't use it for marketing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and also, I don't want to work for real estate companies taking photos of interiors. No, no, no. That's just when a restaurant or a brand asks me, sure, yeah. I can help yeah. you and, and I'm sure I can do a good job. But That's not my primary goal. Now, just to be clear, because I do agree with you that uh, I think you need a level, a high level of specialization in this, in a market that is so saturated. Uh, There's no other way because Mm -hmm. otherwise it's going to be Francesco, wait, was it food? Was it interior? Was Mm. it, was it portrait? Was it, you know, and totally understandable that people would not be able to put you in a box. That's the way it is. So I totally agree with, with your Mm -hmm. approach. In fact, sorry if I digress, but. One key moment in my career was when I hired a, a consultant to help me find clients, to help me shape my tool, mm-hmm. to help me shape my portfolio. And the first thing he did, he looked at my stuff and he said, 
man, you have a good eye, but you are all over the place. Oh, wow. You have mm. way too many photos on your portfolio, way too many genres. I would have food. I would have lifestyle, street photography, street portraits, studio oh. portraits, interiors, events. And I said, no, 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 not in New York. Yeah. So yeah. Oh, to your that's... point, yes, I agree 100%. It is not possible to sustain uh, mm -hmm. a successful business if you're spreading yourself to thin. As mm -hmm. much as you can be the best at all of them, it's not going to be productive. Absolutely. And to be known as an expert, you kind of have to have one niche that rises to the top. But it's a great point to have add-ons that you know uh, the client has an option to take up. So, Francesco, I want to get into the business side because I'm very intrigued by... You know, this you were dipping your toes into, oh, you always wanted to be a portrait photographer. You you loved interior photography. Like it sounds like you were there in the photography realm. But tell me about food photography. Most of our audience that's listening in right now, they are food photographers. So tell us a little bit like when you did start a food photography business, let's say you hired this consultant and came to a point where you had to pick down one niche and you picked food. So what did starting a food photography business really mean to you that business side what did that business mean to you and what did you think that you needed to begin to set up that business did it turn out to be something else when you started setting up give us a snapshot of that i have a background in engineering so i was 35 when i decided to quit my job and try to become a professional photographer but at the same time, I didn't want to become a starving artist, you know, borrowing a couch to sleep at night or sharing an apartment with, you know, five other people. I didn't want to do that. Uh, I think it's totally respectable. Mm -hmm. uh, sorry. I, I just Go want ahead. to ask, like, tell us if you had any family commitments at that time. At 35, did you have a family and no, did you have no, responsibilities? I, have, I, I lived in Sweden still and uh, I didn't have a family. Mm -hmm. And of course, that played a huge role. I was free. Yeah. I had saved up uh, some money from my career in engineering. And uh, basically, the biggest challenge was facing people and facing family who did not want me to <laughs> do that. Mm -hmm. Story Only of our lives. A few, <laughs> a few people, yeah. A few people encouraged me, uh, but almost all the Italian friends tried to talk me out of it. Uh, Swedish friends, they encouraged me a lot. And some Italian close friends, they also encouraged me because they knew me and they kind of trusted me. Uh, but that was the first big hurdle, I would say. So I decided that, uh, you know what? There are a lot of people who have two jobs. You know, They want to make it as an actor, as a dancer, as whatever. And they work different jobs. And they sustain their passion with income coming from something else while they grow their own business and while they cultivate their passion, why they become good and so on. So I decided that that's what I would do. And even if it would take years to, you know, detach myself from engineering, I'm patient. I'm not in a hurry. So I decided to phase out basically my engineering career very slowly by keeping assignments as a consultant and then basically learning the craft of photography, learning the business without having the stress to pay the bills with photography. Mm -hmm. Because at the end of the day, I was sure that 
if photography becomes another job, meaning that I have to photograph things that I'm not interested in, then there is no point. Then I can stay an engineer, have a very easy life, very easy because I was very successful. Yeah. And I think that part was the key part in my change because I was aware of that. So I'm going to try and change, but not for any type of photography. I want to do, at that time it was portraiture. Mm -hmm. And then it changed, but the, the, the passion for what I'm shooting when I'm shooting food is exactly the same as for portraiture. Mm -hmm. So what I'm trying to say is that it was a very... Um, it was a slow process. Because, it was very intentional, yes, very slow. Very it, slow. Took me, mm -hmm. it took me seven years. Mm, interesting. And, uh, and that <laughs> allowed me not only to learn the business, but also to have very little stress about, you know, mm -hmm. just uh, jumping and not knowing mm -hmm. what's underneath. But this is so different. Like, I feel, Francesco, so many people don't have that patience to wait for seven years to transition, right? That was a long game that you played. Wow. Yeah. And then uh, at some point, uh, that was not super easy, but at some point I said, stop. I said no, mm -hmm. because now the business, the photography business has, uh, has increased. And now I need to fully dedicate myself to that. Otherwise, I will never cut the umbilical cord. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I will always be this half, half photographer, half engineer. So there was a little leap of faith. But of course, yeah. it was on grounds that, uh, you know, they're pretty solid. So my very first instinct when I started playing with the camera was uh, maybe I have an eye, but I don't have talent. I don't have enough talent to become a photographer. So I put it aside and I said, okay, it's going to be a hobby for me. Then as I was improving, because I really wanted to improve, I really wanted to learn lighting. And of course, coming from, you know, having a career in engineering, I could afford buying gear. So that was, that was great, of course. So I could master lighting and that was really, really important. So technically speaking, there was nothing major that I needed to learn. And I was like, okay, observing the business, I realized that, okay, I can see a lot of photographers, some of them professional photographers, some of them, I mean, I see their images and I go, wow, they are incredible. Other photographers, wow, this guy or gal, they're really busy, but I don't know, the images don't really move me. But they're so busy. So my question was, is there something else that actually needs to be in place in order to have a successful photography business? And my own answer was yes. I think there's mm -hmm. more. Mm -hmm. I think, in fact, that being able to take good photos is probably a much smaller part compared to the rest of the business. True, true, true. Love it. Yes. Yes, of course. There are technical difficulties, but you can learn. You can learn strobes, you can learn continuous light, you can learn different cameras and lenses and programs and apps. That you can learn if you want to. The business is a little bit more difficult mm -hmm. because every person is different and every person approaches things differently and every person deals with, for example, rejection differently. So I was like, and I thought that networking was really key and then I look at the business basically from the outside and try to compare it to other businesses. And coming from engineering, I had some business background also. So it's like, okay, what parts go into a business? Yes, that's the final product. But what about all the rest? And I was like, I think I could have a shot at this. 
So that's where I came from. Not because I thought I was great at taking photos, not at all, but I thought I can be good enough at taking photos. So that was my reasoning. That was my approach. And, um, and it doesn't matter that I wanted to start with portraiture because it's still photography. It's still, sure. even if the final product is different in terms of genre, Mm-hmm. But the process is very, very similar. Then, of course, the approaches for marketing and for, for yes. building your brand might be slightly different. But still, we're talking about a business that has a final product and the actual act of creating the images is relatively small compared to the huge part that people don't see, the iceberg, the part under the water. Mm-hmm. You know, nobody sees that until they start. Yeah. And uh, so... That was where I came from. Yeah, I love I, it. If I, if I had to tell you the, the big challenge, yes. uh, I'm going to shock you, of course. Nobody ah. says this, but the big challenge was pricing. Hmm. Pricing was <laughs> a very big challenge. And linked to that, there was dealing with rejection. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was another big one. because, yeah. And they are kind of connected to some extent because, of course, if somebody doesn't want to pay you because they think you're too expensive, well, to some extent, you feel rejected. And it doesn't matter that, oh, it's just a business. No, it's very personal because it's your creation. So yes. if they don't like what you create, they don't like you. So I think that was really hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that I said that that goes together with pricing because, of course, you need to find a sweet spot. You need to you know, price yourself so that you're happy with what you get for the work that you put into the the, the project. Yes. Uh, at the same time, you cannot become extravagant in your demands because then you will not have clients. And navigating mm-hmm. that part, I think, was really, really hard. Mm-hmm. To some extent, it's still a little bit hard. I mean, it's a lot more under control now because I set some rules and I've decided what I want to, to be to my brand to be about, what I want my services to be about. So I'm, I'm standing on much stronger ground, but it's just a question and you go like, okay, should I ask for more? Or I think this is way too much for them. I still want to work with them. What do we do? So that kind of thinking is, is still there. And I think it's good because I think you need to you need to develop, you need to evolve with how you know markets change. Yeah. And uh, even if you just think about you know the what happened with COVID and after COVID, try and go to a restaurant and ask for the same money that you asked before, you know, even big restaurants very hard to get that mm-hmm. so you need to find other ways to try and make it work without damaging your brand yeah yeah and uh, i think uh, when you say so, this you're speaking for so many photographers who you who step into oh, the I'm market sure. pricing is like the number one question mark and then also you know where's that fine line balance like first you come up with a number and then you receive a no for putting that number out and then to be able to deal with that internally, that is what makes a business a business. But Francesco, tell us a yeah. little bit, like, um, I want to go back to, you know, uh, you said that you realized that setting up a business was more than just taking photos or being creative or having gear or, you know, doing all of that. For you, networking, marketing, all of those yes. things really rose up to the top. And that is hundred percent true i cannot agree more with you that you know having those connections and having that word out in the market is everything everything so i want to get into a little bit of that i want to ask you how did you so because networking and marketing came up as rose up to the top for you as setting up a business how did you market yourself how did you market your services 
what is it that you did? You said, I know what my skills are, but I need to get my, the word out. So what were the steps that you took to market your services? So I look at the big names in food photography and saw that almost all of them had an agent. So I was like, okay, let's go get an agent. Mm -hmm. And, and you could afford so, one. You could afford one. It sounds so easy. Like, okay, you get an agent, they find work for you. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's not really like that. Uh, but I started researching. And basically, I came up with a list of all the agencies, you know, in, uh, in New York who uh, that represented photographers and uh, started reaching out to them. And I think I got maybe a couple of meetings uh, with some of these agencies, but not anymore. And uh, it was pretty discouraging to see that, uh, you know, you don't even get a response. Oh, wow. Uh, when I went to those meetings, uh, they said, yeah, they gave me feedback on my portfolio, which was great. Absolutely. So very grateful for people who took their time to meet with me. But I also realized that maybe the agent is not really, at least when I started looking at this with maybe eight years ago, seven years ago, something like that. The agent maybe is not really the person that actually helps you grow and kind of cultivate your talent or helps you cultivate your talent. Maybe they want somebody who's already very mm. renowned and already has a lot of business because in many cases, you know, they start taking a cut out of your existing business. So in mm. many cases, I'm not saying they all do it. Anyway, uh, while I was looking for this agent, I bumped into one consultant that used to be uh, a rep, an agent mm -hmm. for photographers. Mm -hmm. And uh, and he said, you know, I can help you. I can do your edits. And I'm like, what is that? Uh, basically, an agent is somebody who represents you. Uh, that's what they, I guess they call reps as well. And basically, uh, depending on the deal you have, clients negotiate directly with the agent and uh, the agent then has an agreement with you and they take a percentage of your work and all that, but you are part of, uh, you're under their umbrella, so to speak. So they, I guess they, to some extent, help you also pitch, and but they do some work in pitching for you once uh, you have agreed with them, you know, what you would like to be paid, what kind of work you want to do, and etc. But mm -hmm. then there are other people, other professionals who are consultants who might just uh, uh, help a photographer, for example, create a good edit, a good portfolio edit or help them with marketing strategies or with contacts uh, and so on. Right. So as I was looking for agents, because I wanted the easy way out, I want somebody who just, you know, signs me up. Yes. And then uh, I start getting work with no work on my end. You know, that's what I wanted. Of course, who doesn't want that? So I bumped into this guy and he used to be a rep. And at that point in time, he did consultancy for photographers. And he said, yeah, I can do your portfolio edits and help you basically shape your material, your portfolio, so that it becomes more appealing, more clear to the clients. And that's when uh, I realized that I needed to specialize way more than uh, mm -hmm. I was doing. Mm -hmm. so that's the guy who told me, yeah. uh, you have a great eye, but uh, you're all over the place. You cannot mm -hmm. have a portfolio that looks like this. So first thing he did is like, okay, what do you want to shoot? And I said, food and portraiture. I said, okay, fine. So he created two portfolios, two edits, uh, one for food, one for portraiture. And uh, at that point, uh, we were happy enough that, you know, I had two genres 
but you know there was some overlapping because of the chefs and and things like those so uh i was pretty happy and then i asked him okay how do i get clients and he said well i can connect you with some people but i don't have i don't have a list that you can access i don't even have it myself but there is a company that actually sells lists Ooh. and this company uh i can name them it doesn't really matter it's called agency access Mm-hmm. At the time, they were the only one, or maybe they were two, but they were by far the biggest company who owned basically lists, and they were selling the lists to photographers. On top of that, they would also sell marketing services to photographers, so they could create campaigns for you. And so I got in touch with these people, and uh, it was quite pricey. I don't remember how much, but it was several thousand dollars per year They you would pay. But the consultant told me, I think you should just buy the list and then do the rest yourself. And uh, so I subscribed to the services. And then after a while, I realized that, okay, no, I'm not able to do this. I need more help. So I actually hired this company to do also my campaigns. Okay. And basically, they they would help you create a small portfolio. They would create prints, postcards to send to specific clients. And then they would also create lists because imagine these people, they have a list for the entire world, I think. So unless, oh, wow. unless you start, oh, it's a global list, you, it's not just. Yeah, United. totally global. Oh, wow. At least it used to be. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. I haven't been in touch with them for at least five years, so I wouldn't know now. But the thing is that, you know, it's just a huge list. So you need to kind of uh, filter it so that you find the right people right. to contact. And so basically we started doing some campaigns. And I also started reaching out to some key persons uh, personally by just using the email that I found. And uh, I didn't get any big job directly from these activities, but from two very relatively small jobs, I got huge jobs afterwards. So wow. one was one was an editorial mm-hmm. with a portrait of a, a big uh, manager at JP Morgan Chase, the bank. Nice. Nice. So I think mm-hmm. I think the, the editorial was like 300 bucks. Mm-hmm. But then uh, this guy really liked me. Yeah. And I connected with him. And then I shot for them for like three years. Fantastic. Or Chase for like three years. So the seed mm-hmm. came from me using yeah. this company and reaching out to these people. But then I mean I was lucky enough that uh, I was taking portrait of this guy and he loved me, and then we started working together. The other element, and that's the one that actually brought me more into food, is that uh, after I, I started doing food photography, I actually was hired to publish a book. We didn't talk about this, but I also published uh, two, actually more than two books, but one book very big for the Smithsonian and one uh, series of books for Rizzoli, which is an Italian international uh, publishing house. Nice, and, yeah. Uh, so once the book was out, I said, you know what? I'm going to send this to people. So I decided mm-hmm. to invest money mm-hmm. and send my book to people. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I was like, okay, I'd like to work for New York Times. Let's send it to the editors at New York Times. So I think I selected, there were maybe three or four. Mm-hmm. And I sent the book. And mm-hmm. then I was like, okay, these people will definitely get in touch with me to say thank you for the book. Yeah. No. <laughs> they didn't. I was like, you know what? I don't like this. <laughs> That's the tough so, part. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I'm like, I can't believe that I send you a book and you don't even answer me. So I start calling them. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, I called this lady up and... Uh, Look at you me? going at it, not did giving you, up. I like it. You, did you get my book? <laughs> and she goes like, oh, yeah, I loved it. Oh, oh, wow. Actually, I would love to work with you. What's your availability next week? And I'm like, excuse me? <laughs> Look at that. Oh, wow. Mm. So this uh, photo editor at the New York Times started giving me work like yeah. twice a month at least. Wow. And I would go to restaurants and take the photos for the restaurant review. So basically, they would have their critic to go there incognito, yes. of course. Yes. And, you know, eat, eat the food. Yes. And then they, once uh, he was done, they would call me and say, okay, I need yeah. you to take these 10 shots of these dishes. Yeah. And then they would create the review. And uh, that was my door to the restaurant industry. Yeah. I was, I was, I just wanted to work these gigs for the New York Times. But I didn't realize that I was yes. in touch, yeah. hands on, yeah. like doing a project with these big restaurants or smaller mm-hmm. restaurants. And I didn't realize how powerful that, that was mm-hmm. because actually, Shortly after that, I started working with some of these restaurants myself. Fabulous. Because they like the way I, they like the way I shot the images. They like the way I approached the photo shoot, even though they were not my client directly because I was shooting for the Times. But still, I was treating them as clients because I want them to be happy with the way I carry myself, the way I communicate, the way I create the images, and also the short time it took me to create the images. The way I could roll with the, you know, with the punches, because in a restaurant, especially when it's operational, so there are clients sitting there eating, and you're there taking photos. You know, you need to be able to handle yourself and yeah. be able to be on top of the situation. So I got several clients. One client I still work for today. Fabulous. Gramercy yeah. Tavern, one of the biggest restaurants, the most famous restaurants in New York. Oh I still wow. Work with them. Wow. After and I think I shot for them in 2016 mm-hmm. for the New York Times. And uh so that was the, the real door into the the yeah. restaurant industry. Yeah. And uh that was very, very powerful. So back to your question, of course I, I created I did something myself actively because I decided to invest money into buying yes. these lists yes. and contacts. And uh, back then, it was really hard to find who was the person to contact. I think today it's slightly easier because of social media. Yes. Um, but back then, basically, that was my, my shot. And I, I took the shot and it went well because basically uh, I started getting business, uh, uh, even secondary business out of mm-hmm. this. Mm-hmm. And I think I stayed with them two years. But after a while, I realized that... Uh, I, w- I wasn't super happy with how things were done uh, after a little bit that I've been working with them. And the thing is that every single photographer who wanted to, you know, find the list would go to them. So right. at the end of the day, you would have you would have this. All the photographers in New York would have the exact same list and would approach the clients same in the exact same way. Yes. So. I thought that it was time to to stop uh, using that type of service. And at the same yeah. time, of course, my business had expanded quite a bit and I had enough contacts and then the word of mouth started to kick in and then yeah. became my primary source. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, to make this very practical, you need to make an effort. Either yeah. you purchase a list or you go about it you know, the way you want and find accounts, but you need to actively 
market yourself. You need to actively contact people. And it's not very easy for a person. I'm I'm on the very shy side of uh, of the <laughs> spectrum. I'm, as my friend says, I'm the the most sociable introvert uh, that he knows. But I'm still an introvert, and it's still hard for me to do cold calling. Yeah, uh, it it's does. Really, really hard. Yeah, for me, for me a... here, I think I have like four big takeaways. First of all, I applaud you. I really applaud you because marketing yourself like this and doing things that are so uncomfortable are tough and a lot of people lose out because they don't take these steps so for me there are some solid takeaways in what you have said and number one is exactly what you said and that is to invest so if you want contacts then you went and you bought a list you didn't think that it's going to cost me a thousand dollars right now you said this is what i need to get started so you invested in yourself now whether that's gear that's an email list that's contact that's a different thing the point is you're willing to put in the money up front to be able to get something back in return. The second thing that absolutely struck me was that you had some resources that you had created and you had a very clear idea on who you wanted to work with. You said New York Times and you're like, okay, so how do I get my foot in the door? And you sent them something. So the point was you had this clarity of who that client meant for you, who that person was. So having that very clear makes your, you know, gives a bit direction and tells you exactly what you need to do, who you need to get in touch with. Okay, the third takeaway for me was that you didn't give up. I mean, come on now. There are such few people in the world who would have done what you did. And especially when you say that you, you're not, you know, a very outgoing, you're, you're kind of this, uh, kind of an introverted person, a bit shy. And I think a lot of photographers are like that. And especially food photographers, you know, not everybody is um, outgoing. So to be able to pick up a phone and to call somebody and to have the courage to be able to say, I sent you my book, what did you think about it? That is something else. I feel like so many of us give up at that step, especially when we are cold pitching and emailing. We don't realize that the person on the other side might be busy and you know there might be another reason why they have not replied to us other than just saying Absolutely. no. So for me, that takeaway is huge, that you did not give up and you went at it. And the fourth big one is that when you got your foot in the door, you made sure you delivered such an exceptional experience that anyone who worked with you wanted to work only with you. And so that step of that first gig that you got of going in with another person into the restaurant, you know, shooting along with them, you made it your own. What a success story that is to be shooting for a top restaurant in a city like New York, you know, from 2016 to 24. That's what, like eight years now. What a success story. So for me, these are like the biggest takeaways that a food photographer is tuning in now who is wanting to make something out of their business is, you know, for them to really learn and understand that it's all possible. You just have to keep going at it. So I want to dive into another big thing that you mentioned, and that is pricing. That one was another challenge that rose up to the top. And you said, oh, I didn't know how to price. And when I priced, I was trying to find that fine balance. So can you talk about, you know, we all go, go through this challenge and we all find a way to kind of come up with a number that works for us, that works for the market that we are in. But can you leave our audience with maybe some tips on what kind of an approach they can adopt 
if they want to come up with a competitive price for their services. Please tell me that you are loving this conversation. Please tell me that this has gotten you hooked, that you cannot stop thinking about how easy it looks on the outside, but how complicated this world, this industry of food photography or this industry of photography is. I mean, like Francesco said, it takes way more than just knowing your camera or having a passion for photography. There's so much more that goes into setting up a business. And he's demonstrated how much work he had to put in to actually finally take that leap of faith after seven years of being in transition. We're going to continue our conversation next time with Francesco in part two of this episode. We are going to get into pricing. We're going to talk a lot about scaling your business. How can you make it bigger by working less? We're also going to talk about tough situations with clients. We are going to talk about client work. We're going to talk about experiences. And we're going to talk about how to be able to meet the profit that we set for ourselves. How to be able to meet the vision, the profit, and the success that we dream of having when we set out to become professional food photographers. All this and more in part two of our conversation with Francesco. I'll see you next week with another episode. Until then, bye-bye.